Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. They were building positions in there if for a fight. happened to us, by the time anyone got to us, I think it was chaos. the weather was so bad, there would be no to run boots full of blood. And the next thing I hear was alarms screaming. Chances of survival were very, very slick. The soldiers didn't want to go into the ambushes, so they'd send the kids in first. So he was sent in first into an ambush and he got shot in the stomach. It was very hard for me, very hard for my family. And the pain burst. Proud of the crew, proud of what I've achieved and what I'm doing. The volunteer for service was in effect to put your life on the line. This week, Angus Horden spoke with Charlie Baker about Charlie's late father, a World War II veteran. I'm Angus Horden, and for this week's bonus episode of Life on the Line, I'm speaking with Charlie Baker about his father, Jack. Charlie, thanks for coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. Charlie, let's start with your father's childhood. When and where was he born? He was born in Paddington in Sydney in uh, December 1918. I wonder how prevalent war and the military was for him growing up, especially just after the First World War. Do you know of any of other military history in the family period prior to Jack? Uh, yes, uh, he had an uncle, uh, his uh, mother's or one of his mother's brothers was killed in the First World War in uh, 1917 in Messines uh, in Belgium. And his name was John, John Carroll. And my father was named after him. That's why he's named John. John, or everybody knows him as Jack. Your father's generation was that magnificent generation that struggled through the Great Depression, grew up knowing the sacrifices of the First World War. As you said yourself, every family, yours included, was touched one way or the other by the First World War, tragically. And yet war starts again in September 1939. When does your father join up? He joined up uh, actually not in September 1939. It was um, in 1940. He joined the army, actually, and uh, spent some time uh, or some months, actually, uh, in the army, decided it wasn't for him and asked for a transfer to the Air Force, which he managed to get. And uh, things went on from there. So do you know what drew him to the Air Force? I think he had a couple of mates who were joining up. And also, I think he found the army a little bit on the tough side, the uh, putting up tents and slogging in mud and that sort of stuff in the training. I think he uh, decided that uh, that wasn't for him and he'd try the Air Force. So in 1940, we're at war because of Britain in Europe, but we're not at war with the Japanese, obviously. So those that wanted to get into the action actually joined the Air Force like your dad. Do you feel that he was keen to get into the action and that's sort of what drew him to the Air Force with his mates? I don't really think so, no. I just think he felt it was his duty to serve and uh, I think the Air Force seemed to be the best uh, option for him. So what did the Air Force training entail for him? Initially, he was training here? Yes, he, uh, he wanted to be a pilot. He didn't know what of. He wanted to be a pilot. He, he went to South Australia, a place called Parafield, where they did a lot of training on tiger moths, but uh, he, didn't, he didn't pass it. He didn't make it. So he ended up doing um, training on uh, uh, bombing and uh, uh, gunnery practice. That was a, a particular course. He did that. That's really what he did through, through the war. He was, that was his, his skill. So can you walk us through your father's posting with the Air Force when he eventually is sent overseas? Uh, yes, OK. He, he went overseas um, in 1941. He went uh, via the US, actually, uh, with a bunch of uh, like people. 
uh, to the UK and he found himself at the, a newly formed squadron, uh, 458 Squadron, at a place called Home on Spalding Moor in Yorkshire and he started training there on, uh, on Wellingtons. The, that was the medium bomber that the British had when the war started. And uh, he, some, somewhere in, the, in this mix, uh, he also uh, trained as a, a wireless operator. So he became what was called a WAG, wireless operator air gunner. And uh, that's, that's basically how, how he spent the war, his particular skills. So he's crewing on Wellingtons. And do you recall how many missions or what action he saw with the Wellingtons? I don't, I don't know how many missions, but he spent the, the bulk of the war years in the Mediterranean, based uh, primarily in North Africa, uh, Tunisia and I think one of two other places there in, in North Africa. And uh, their job was to uh, look for submarines and also they did some bombing as well, like uh, non-torpedo non, uh, uh, work around Italy, uh, Sardinia, Corsica and the Mediterranean itself. What's what was called Coastal Command, which, which came under the umbrella of, of Bomber Command actually, in the, in, in the uh, Allied cause. And was he based out of Alexandria or whereabouts? Yeah, I think he was spent a lot of time at a place called Protville in Tunisia. And there may have been other places. If there were, I don't know. I, I can find no record of any other place. But uh, that's where they, they were primarily. It's interesting, the Allied campaign to starve the axis of resources in the Western Desert was critical for the defeat eventually of Rommel and the Africa Corps. So to a large extent, your father's operations and indeed the others who served with him in cutting off those German convoys was critical. Yes, yes, definitely, yes. I'm not sure how much action he actually saw. I mean, he did see some action. He, he basically didn't talk about that. But uh, yes, they, that, was, that was primarily what they were doing. In... Um Tunisia or wherever he was based, he was flying bombers, as you mentioned. Was, were they still Wellingtons or had they moved on to another aircraft? Still Wellingtons, right, right through to the end of the war. So perhaps what they may have done is keeping their heavier bombers in Europe for the European operations and then having the Wellingtons available because they'd been superseded by heavier bombers to use in uh, operations in the Med. Yes, that, that, that's true. Charlie, you mentioned that unfortunately you didn't have as good an opportunity before as you would wish today to talk with your father about a lot of his action, but he was actually shot up and had to make a forced landing with his crew. Can you walk us through what happened? Well, they, they, they got hit by a couple of Messerschmitts, I, I believe, and uh, the pilot managed to evade them and uh, they got back to base. Uh, and when they came in, they realised that their undercarriage wouldn't work, so they had to belly in, which they did. And of course, that, was, that could save lives, but it also not save lives. So once you bellied in, before the plane blew up, which usually happened, they all jumped out and ran for their lives. And uh, a couple of guys got pretty badly burnt, but survived and the rest of them got away with a couple of minor injuries. Gee, that was lucky. Very lucky. Your dad actually hurt himself in escaping out of the plane. Uh, yes, he did. He, he wrenched his knee. He had to jump and try to run at the same time, and uh, he wrenched uh, one of his knees, and he had to have treatment on and off right through his life for that. So where did his war go after that? Well, he, um, he got demobilised late 1945, uh, having spent all of his war service in that theatre, and uh, he was uh, yeah, demobilised. He came back to Australia at the end of 1945 on, on a ship called the Stirling Castle, and then he went back to civilian life as a way to make a living, uh, working with the New South Wales Railways. But he did maintain strong links with the Air Force. 
And moving on from the war, when did Jack actually marry your mum? Uh, December 28, 1946. And do you have any siblings? I have two brothers and two sisters, all younger than me. And your father went through some fairly traumatic experiences in the war. During your childhood, how do you think this impacted on him? I think it impacted him, but not severely, because he was always a always a fairly stern sort of man, uh, strict, uh, even a martinet, if you like. And I think that wasn't really generated by the war. I mean, there were times he was a bit on the quiet side and, uh, you know, maybe he was thinking about things because he did lose some good friends in the war. I can give you one example. But uh, I don't think there was a huge uh, effect on him, no. I think he was that sort of person anyway. And about that mate that he lost? One of his good friends that he went to uh, school with uh, here in Sydney, uh, he was a pilot, a Wellington pilot, and went, they went out on a mission on one day and he vanished, no trace, never saw him again. He and his crew and his plane lost. That was pretty upsetting, I think, for him. So his involvement back in Australia, did he go to the RSL? Yes, he went to the RSL. In fact, he's, he uh, spent uh, all of his life, he was a member of the sub-branch of the RSL at Epping. He was there quite a bit, uh, not necessarily drinking, but he was there. He joined their fishing club and he went to their swimming club and, you know, he went to athletics, athletics with them and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, he had strong, strong influence of the RSL. He joined, I think it was towards the end of 1947. He got demobilised from the RAF and uh, he ended up uh, as in the Citizen Air Force and he became um, active uh, in the, the Air Training Corps, the ATC at the time. It's called the Air Force Cadets now. And he spent... Uh, from, say, 1947 up to 1971 when he gave that away and he was still working at the time. But that was a part-time thing. Also, his squadron, 458 Squadron, they had a very active uh, association. They were always having functions and things. And I remember as a child going to all sorts of things to do with that. So really this was great therapy for him that he could relate with fellow mates from the war and seek refuge in these various associations and catch up and help get over the experience. Very much so. So Charlie, your dad comes home and he has continued with the reserves or the aviation cadets, which is a wonderful service, good for him and good for the nation and good for everyone that he trains. And he's with the RSL. How do you think he settled in with the family again? He didn't have kids until 1948, and that's me. So he, he came from a, um, a fairly small family. It was only he and his sister, very strong Catholics. His sister uh, was a nun right through her life, a missionary nun. So she was an interesting person in her own right. And he had his mum and his dad, and his dad died in 1950. So he, he didn't have a, a big family before he had all of us kids. So uh, it's not easy to say how he, how he fitted in with us uh, after the war. When did he start to talk about his wartime experiences with you? Well, it would have been, it's just scattered throughout uh, my memory. Um, and, and it wasn't overbearing in any way. I mean, you, you, we really had to ask him, what happened here, Dad, or what happened there, Dad? To give you an example, within the Air Training Corps, the ATC, I was involved with that as a teenager. He, he got me into it. I used to have film nights sometimes. There was a night flight. And uh, before, he'd get the films, and we'd, we'd watch them at home sometimes. We'd say, oh, were you there, Dad? You know, this is, no, no, I wasn't there. I was such and such, that type of thing. But apart from that, really, no. So did you find that Jack seemed to get better as time moved on with regard to how he was talking about the war and indeed just dealing with his service over the period? Mm, good question. He probably became less talkative about it. 
I would say, as he got older. The worst thing that probably happened to him was that some of his mates started to die and that type of thing as, as time went on into the 70s. So, Charlie, it's quite common, and it's been said before, that some people had good wars and some people had bad wars. And certain things could happen to people in war that scarred them for life. And some people could just get through terrible combat and then live a normal life, it would appear, but others could be badly affected. And it was common for many to hang on to it and only talk about it at the very end, if at all. And perhaps this is a bit like your dad. Yes, I'd say so. So when did Jack pass away? Uh, March the 4th, 2017. I can see myself in him in a lot of ways. Um, and that's one reason I don't think the war affected him hugely, because I've got a lot of his sort of um, ways of doing things, my attitudes to things, blah, blah, blah. And I'm obviously not affected by the war. So, yeah, I do, I do think about it. And the older I'm getting, I'm not only looking more like him, but I'm, I'm, I am a lot more like him. I think that's by virtue of the fact that we all get older and greyer. <laughs> And Definitely. We move, and we move a bit bit slower. <laughs> Definitely, but, yes. But his um, service, did that instil in you, besides that period in the aviation cadets earlier on in your youth, did you seek to go into the military at all? Uh, no, I, no, I didn't. I'm really not sure why. I, I, I found that I was um, better suited to other things. Uh, so I, I didn't go into the military. But having said that, my son is. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, in, in the middle. I, I was the missing link. And, and what's your son doing? He's a fighter pilot in the Air Force. Okay. In the RAF, yes. And where, where's he based? He's based in Williamtown, so he's, he's doing very well for himself. Well, isn't that interesting? So do you think that your son, that he could have had some association with regard to his granddad in wanting to follow in his steps into the Air Force? Yes, I would say so, definitely. Even though I didn't go into the Air Force, I, I've always been interested in aircraft, and that's come from a dad just his interest and, you know, And aircraft. you, of course, have shared that with your son. Yes, and I've taken Chris to air shows and things when he was younger and, you know, he just got involved, just that milieu, I think, within the family. And, and Chris, my son, is um, very respectful of his granddad. He always looked up to him and I think that had a big impact on him too. Charlie, thank you for showing us all those lovely photos, but there's one in particular of a family shot altogether. Tell us about the lady in that photo called Grace. Uh, Grace was Dad's third wife, actually. He met Grace during the war in the, in the 40s in England while he was based there. And they uh, went out together. They had mutual friends. Uh, this was in his downtime, of course. And uh, they, between the two of them, decided that they were going to spend the rest of their lives together. But uh, her parents uh, said no. And so they accepted that. He came back to Australia. She stayed in England married someone else, had a family, etc. Sadly, in 1970, her husband and her young son drowned in a, in a boating tragedy in England. So she became a widow. In 1976, my dad's first wife, my mum, uh, died. And so he was a widower. Now, in the early 90s, a mutual friend put them back together again, put them in touch again. And in 1995, uh, they got married here in Sydney. And shortly after that, they went back to England and lived there for a number of years until the weather got to dad. And he came back here with Grace and uh, they lived here. And uh, in uh, 2013, Grace went back to England because dad went into a dementia centre. He was getting very old. And she decided to go back and spend her last years with her family. She had a daughter and a family from that. And so uh, they split in that, in that way. Grace is still alive. She's only just a week or so back turned 95 and uh, 
she's, uh, she's living there with her family. Charlie, that's a lovely story and thank you for sharing it with us. And we're glad for Jack that he and Grace linked up together and had that love and companionship in their later years when it was so important to be together, especially in the quieter years. If we go back to your dad, naturally we thank you for his service and thank you for openly speaking with us all today of talking with the audience concerning another great Australian who just privately got on, did his business, did his service, but without his sacrifice we all wouldn't be here today. So thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to tell it. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please make sure you're subscribed to get all content. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life on the Line Podcast and on Twitter at LOTL Pod. Our email address is podcast at lifeonthelinepodcast.com and our website is www.lifeonthelinepodcast.com. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Artwork by Big Cat Design, music by Dan Van Werkhoven. Thanks for listening, and lest we forget. <laughs>